Thank you. 
25 minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program.
Yes, no, I'm here. 
הראשון שהקלטתי לפני עשרים ושמונה שנים. Long time ago. נו מניח בקדושו. אוי לי ים בדושני יום ובוא הנה. 
J.M. in the A.M. Eighth day with Samach. You heard Hatoyev done by Yossi Green. Avremel Avram Free with the Tish medley. Alchom Osayich, that was Achenu. Schlockrock's Musaf Kedusha from a Shabbat in Liverpool. Lamelech, that was from Ohad. Shmuel Levy with Hit Ori. Yom Zed done by Eitan Freilich. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. 641, 19 minutes before 7 o'clock. On this Friday, July the 5th, day two in the month of Tammuz, the year 5779. Tonight is the uh, 25th yard side of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. 
More about that in a moment. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Korach with candle lighting in New York at 810. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 73 degrees, 86% humidity, winds in northeast at 4 miles per hour. Morning clouds, afternoon sun, and a high temperature of 84. Then tonight, mostly cloudy and a low of 75. Wow. Tomorrow, scattered thunderstorms, a high temperature, 88 degrees. Right now, we're at 81 in Yerushalayim, up in Kamasora, 70 degrees in Guilford, New York. 73 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Well, tonight is the uh, 25th yard site of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And uh, I want to thank Zalman Schmutkin and those who have helped us um, uh, put together, I guess you'd say. I mean, they really did all the putting together. <laughs> they just sent us the final product. Uh, some of the memories of the Rebbe over the years. This is a... Um, this is the summer of uh, 1977 when Prime Minister Begin, on his way to conduct the peace talks with President Carter in Camp David, goes to the Rebbe in New York to receive his guidance and brachos before this crucial meeting. Begin had visited the Rebbe quite a number of times before, and the Rebbe conducted an extensive correspondence with him. There were statements beforehand in Hebrew and Yiddish, all held in the Rebbe's office, and this recording is the English one after which they proceeded with their meeting in privacy where the Rebbe expressed his extreme dread for the results to come for months and years ahead from tragically projecting a stance lacking self-respect and strength. Here are the public statements that were made on the 2nd of Menachem of during that summer of 1977. Here it is at JM in the AM. I have come tonight to... Uh, Menachem Begin first. Our great master and teacher, the Rabbi to ask and get from him uh, his blessings before I go to Washington to meet President Carter for the important talks we are going to hold on the future uh, of the Middle East. The people in Israel do pray for the success of those very important meetings. I do not call them fateful meetings because uh, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, are an eternal people, and their lot and future are not dependent on a political meeting uh, with the leader of the free world. However, such a meeting has great importance for our future. And uh, therefore, I uh, have asked for the blessings of uh, the rabbi. Would the rabbi care to say something? I only add a few words to recapitulate my blessings for the great success of this very important mission of the premier minister, and also to underline that I accept this honor of his visit, certainly not on my personal account, and on account of the movement of Lubavitch, who was dedicated for centuries to permeate the Jewish people everywhere, is a firm faith in God Almighty and firm faith in their faith that they'll have all their wishes for good fulfilled and in holding on to our tradition of Torah and mitzvahs to go from strength to strength in spreading 
kindness and goodness around us, and that will be also a good vessel to accept the blessings of God Almighty in all their needs, in diaspora and in the Holy Land, and to have real peace as a preparation for the coming of Messiah in speedily in our time. And a special thanks to the Prime Minister and also through him to the Jews in Eretz Israel and our Holy Land in general. So that was the um, encounter between um, Prime Minister Begin and the Lubavitcher Rebbe, summer of 1977. Um, tonight is the uh, 25th yard side of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. In 1987, uh, it was a hakel year, a year of gathering in the time of the Beis HaMikdash. After every seven years on Sukkot, old Jews would gather by the Beis HaMikdash to hear passages of the Torah from the Jewish king for many generations since the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. This mitzvah was not even noticed in or marked on the calendar. However, throughout the years of the Rebbe's leadership, he uh, would talk about and learn lessons from his from this every seven years. And slowly but surely, like so many other mitzvahs and precepts, the Rebbe created great awareness of this all across Yiddish guide. This was 1987 during a Hakel year um, about the importance of gathering the Jewish community of around the world together. And this year has a special beginning, a special meaning, because it is Ishnas Hakel. It's the time when the Besan Mikdash was existent materially also. It was the time that the Sukkot, as preparation for it, had begun at the beginning of the year to gather all the people, all the Jewish people together, and especially not waiting, not waiting for the Balmitzvah, but even the very little one, and the, even the Ktanik Tanim, the Pitlach Kinder also. And all these people together is the king of this time. And the Sanhedrin and Amnoshim Venoshim and the very little children was together in the same place, in the same time, for the same purpose, to hear God Almighty's Torah and to take upon themselves to fulfill it during all the year round. And that is also augmented aid at to the God Almighty's blessing in success in general, especially in fulfilling their decision to follow the Torah in all things necessary, in all things possible, and to do so that it will be peace in all the world around us, that is a very big need of peace, and every Jew can contribute in this direction, in this purpose, by adding in his peace of mind between his nishom and his groove, and the main thing also, to gather all the Jews around him and influence them in the same direction, as you have the God Almighty's assurance that by deciding to do so, he will give you his blessing in health and parnosa and all good things necessary to do so is maximum of success and the psurist tevis, and especially the final and ikeb psurist that the Mashiach is coming very soon, and we will all together to be, be, make the hakel, 
is the base amygdala, the real base amygdala in material form and the new future beginning by this year. And this
descends on Friday night, a stillness fills the air. I see a Jew who seems so distant, standing very near. He's passed this way before, he might just live next door. But somehow he's someone we've ignored. He watches as we walk to shul our hearts so full of love. Dressed up in our finest to thank the one above. Yet none could find a way or make time in their day to ask him if he'd like to come and pray. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Just one Shabbos, come and join with me. We'll sing and dance to the sky with our spirits so high. We will show them all it's true. Let them come and join us too. Surprised. I wished him a good Shabbos, confusion filled his eyes. I've seen you all before, I'd love to learn much more, but I've never done it all, I'm just not sure. I asked him, won't you join with us to understand and see? He came and stayed a while and thanked us happily. Next Shabbos came along, his feelings grew so strong. He first began to feel that he belonged. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Just one Shabbos, come and join with me. We'll sing and dance to the sky with our spirits so high. We will show them all it's true. Let them come and join us too. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. in his life, shared it with his family, his children and his wife. They learn new things each day to live the Torah way, the message of one job is here to stay. And now I never miss a chance to stop and look around, invite some people home to share the sights and sounds of Shabbos candlelight and Zmiro's Friday night. Get to see Jewish soul ignite. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Shabbos project, come and join with me. We'll sing and dance to the sky with our spirits so high. We will show them all it's true. Let them come and join us Shabbos, come and 
JM in the oh, JM in the AM. We are uh, playing some of the uh, actualities from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, as um, uh, this is the 25th yard site uh, starting tonight. Um, this is a um, I believe this is the one where he discusses the rise of crime in New York City with government officials here at JM in the AM. It is also proper. To to begin by the Minagis law by custom, the the base before Yom Kippur to give everyone a piece of sweet cake. Oh, this is before Shoshana Yom Kippur. There is that if a Hasvisholim someone God Almighty willed him to receive a help from a human being. He'll be, he'll fulfill this decree by receiving this sweet cake and not not having any need for help from a human being, only from God Almighty Himself. It is also a musar for every one of wealthy men. When someone is coming to him for the help, then he must take this as an example, immediately help him, and consider it a honor that he is replacing God Almighty as his emissary to help someone, and being that that is a, a honor for the giver, then he is probably receiving more from the receiver than he is giving him in monetary value. That is Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, 25 years since his passing. America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Galit Tzal is your Army Radio next. Oh, uh, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the uh, beloved NSN app. We're not doing our Golly Tal news, folks. I don't know. Oh, maybe now. Sounds like they were having some difficulty at the top of the hour there. Nope. All right. Apparently, we do have a problem with our news from Israel today, and I apologize for that. More coming up. You are listening to JM in the AM on this Arab Shabbos.
J.M. in the A.M. Ufaratsta. Tonight, the uh, yard side of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Ufaratsta, a uh, 25th yard side. That was done by Rogers Park. L'chad done by the Moshav Band. Uh, I want to thank, I want to thank Yisrael uh, Slonim and the Ashrenu app, which contains all the audio of the Rebbe's public addresses uh, during the week. Uh, the address is literally Ashrenu app. So thank you, Yisrael Slonim, for all the uh, the work and Zalman Schmutkin as well. 
a, a big thank you. Um, for putting together some of these uh, really amazing pieces. This is a question the Rebbe was asked by CNN, it seems, about his vision for Mashiach. CNN and then the Lubavitcher Rebbe on this eve of the Rebbe's 25th yard site at JM in the AM. Rebbe, can you tell us the message you have for the world about huh? Mashiach, the message you have for the whole world about the Mashiach? He was printed in all the press of all the in, in countries. The Mashiach is ready to come now. It is only from our part to do something additional in the realm of goodness and kindness. So people should be doing goodness and kindness for him to come. At least a, a, a little more than Mashiach will come immediately. That's a gift to charity. The double portion of charity.
J.M. in the A.M. with Nigun Chabad, Avram Freed here at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, we've been playing some of the actualities uh, that we've um, received from uh, Zalman Schmutkin and um, and um, uh, Yisrael Slonim and the Ashrenu app. 
this is, a, and, and we're doing this because this is the Lubavitcher Rebbe's 25th yard site tonight. Tonight is his 25th yard site. This is what he had to say about Hakel. This is what he had to say about the mitzvah of gathering Jews. Ooh, sorry about that. That we've become more and more familiar with over the years, and which is a mitzvah uh, every seven years on the holiday of Sukkot. The Lubavitcher Rebbe. 25th yard site is tonight. Here it is at JM in the AM. And this year has a special beginning, a special meaning, because it is the Shnas Hakel. It's the time when the base of Migrash was existent materially. Also, it was the time that the Sukkot, as preparation for it, had begun at the beginning of the year to gather all the people, all the Jewish people together and especially not waiting, not waiting for the Bal Mitzvah, but even the very little one, and the, even the Ktani Ktani, the Pitlach Kinder also. And all these people together is the king of this time. And the Sanhedrin, and the Amnoshim, Benoshim, and the very little children was together in the same place, in the same time, for the same purpose, to hear God Almighty's Torah and to take upon themselves to fulfill it during all the year round. And that is also augmented, aid, add to the God Almighty's blessing in success in general, especially in fulfilling their decision to follow the Torah in all things necessary and all things possible and to do so that it will be peace in all the world around us. That is a very big need of peace, and every Jew can contribute in this direction, in this purpose, by adding in his peace of mind between his Nishom and his Guf, and the main thing also, to gather all the Jews around him and influence them in the same direction as you have the God Almighty's assurance that by deciding to do so, he will give you his blessing and health and parnosa and all good things necessary to do so is maximum of success and the Surah Tevis and especially the final and Ikeb Surah Tevis that the Mashiach is coming very soon and we will all together to be, be make the hakel in the base amigdash, the real base amigdash in material form and the new future beginning by this year.
Da da da. 
Ellie Marcus off of Chabad with Moshe Lau for Volume 3. You heard the words of the Rebbe before that as uh, he spoke about Hakel. And again, I want to thank the the people at Ashrenu App, Ashrenu App, Yisrael Sloanum and Company, and of course Zalman Schmutkin for all his help in putting together some uh, great pieces this morning as the Lubavitcher Rebbe's 25th yard site is observed tonight, tonight and tomorrow, tonight and Shabbos. It's Arab Shabbos Parshas Korach, candlelighting at 810, 810 officially. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 73 degrees in New York, morning clouds, afternoon sun, a high of 84. They're at 70 up in Guilford, New York, at Camp Missora, 81 in Yerushalayim, and here, 73 degrees in New York on an Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. Um, Listener Devora writes on the app, My dad grew up in Crown Heights. My family once got a bracha from the Rebbe that all the kids would marry in time. As I aged, my grandfather used to say that the Rebbe's bracha would come true. Indeed, my grandfather died before it happened, but in time I indeed was blessed with a wonderful husband. Very nice. Very nice. A lot of wonderful things to be said about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, that's for sure. And it's hard to believe that he's gone 25 years as of tonight. Malcolm Homeline is going to join us, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us on the uh, segment we call the Weekly Update coming up here at JM in the AM. Uh, About 7.40 Eastern Time. Later on, of course, it'll be... uh, Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, who will join us uh, on Parsha's Korach. I know we're still a Parsha behind Israel in the diaspora. We're still behind Israel. Uh, so we'll do that coming up later on as well. Uh, all happening here on a Friday at JM in the AM with a reminder that at 10 o'clock this morning, Mark Zamek and the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show. Encore presentation starts at 10 a.m. this morning right here at the Nachum Siegel Network.
Shomo, 
J.M. in the A.M. with Benny Friedman. Want to give a special shout-out to Evelyn Gross. A special good Friday morning to Evelyn Gross, who no doubt is tuned in this morning. And I hope Sam is tuned in as well. Thanks for listening from all of us here at J.M. the A.M. Also, a mazel tov to the Wallman, Sperber, and Wurzberger families. Dina and Yussi got married last night. To Ahuva and Shuli Wolman, and again to the Wolman, Sperber, and Wurzberger families, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM. The was amazing celebrating with Dina and Yassi last night. Mazal Tov.
JM and the AM, the Shira Hadasha Boys Choir with Keladon. Erev Shabbos Parsha's Korach, we're uh, one Parsha off. Diaspora and Israel are one Parsha off. We spent enough time on this topic last week, so we will <laughs> not address the whole philosophical issue and the desire to repair it uh, today, but uh, we are still a Parsha off, and that's going to last another month. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Korach outside of Israel with candlelighting in New York at 810. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are and um, and uh, start Shabbos at the proper time. Uh, it is time for our weekly update. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays here at uh, on NSN with the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that very much. Tonight, as we've been pointing out, is the 25th yard site of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Uh, I, we know because of your public statements and your public speeches about him that you are a great admirer and uh, I certainly enjoyed whatever time you were able to spend with him during his lifetime. Uh, any thoughts as we now commemorate a quarter of a century since his passing and have witnessed, although some may have predicted otherwise, have witnessed an incredible growth in the Chabad Lubavitch movement over that time. Well, first of all, I think that uh, everybody acknowledges, and there are articles virtually daily, which point out that the, of the growth of Chabad since the Rebbe's passing, uh, which was due to the influence and his his foresight, that he established a foundation that didn't crumble when such a revered and, and uh, central figure uh, passes, that the uh, movement has continued to grow. And I think the significance both of his words and his actions have only been magnified uh, over the years. And the, the um, appreciation for some of his views, some of which may have been controversial at the time, but his uh, strong stance on certain issues, I think, have been uh, justified by by history. Yeah, no question about that. Now, he, he I don't know if this is fair. You'll tell me if it's a fair statement. Uh, can we say that he was the only Hasidic leader to be outspoken about the um, uh, about the conditions of the land of Israel, meaning that uh, he felt that we had to be extremely vigilant when it came to uh, the subject of giving away land and expressed how how much he was frankly against it. W- wouldn't he have been the only Hasidic leader to really take a public position like that? Um, I, I really don't know if any others did. I actually had the opportunity to discuss it with him, and to uh, and his views were were very strong on on the subject, as you point out. And he saw the dangers of, uh, and also saw it in halachic terms about whether you can give up uh, parts of the land of Israel. Um, but it was only one of a couple of issues where he took that kind of a strong stand and often was at least alone in, in the public posture. Uh, I can't say that nobody else has ever said anything on it because I, I don't know if that's correct. Understood. Also, one last point before we move on to the news of the day and of the week. Um, and this is sort of on the topic that we uh, spoke about the early part of last week's conversation. Uh, we played this morning a whole bunch of actualities, different things that he said about different topics and you know parts of conversations he had with leaders 
One of them was um, the conversation he had with Menachem Begin as uh, Prime Minister Begin was on his way to Camp David in 1977. And I I think based on what we heard this morning, his public statements, and knowing what he felt privately, uh, it, it would be a good example to follow to express publicly in a proper fashion um, knowing that the whole world is listening one's opinion and you know and 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 be very careful with their words and at the same time you have a right in, in private certainly uh, to express your fear concern and uh, and in some cases anger with certain decisions that have been made and I think based on what we said last week that's a really good example to follow it, it certainly is a good example a good principle at all times I, I do think that the Rebbe though said privately what he said publicly what he felt privately maybe in more measured terms than uh, at times, but he was also uh, tolerant in, and in listening to other views. You know, we differed on the issue of Soviet jury, the demonstrations, uh, but the Rebbe had the right to differ because he did. He was there in all those dark years, his shluchim, and the representatives of Chabad who worked throughout, and even before the Rebbe became Rebbe, the, their activities, uh, I mean, they kept Yiddishkeit alive there. And people risking their lives all the time to day in and day out to perpetuate uh, Jewish life under the uh, evil Stalin and, and the entire communist regime. Uh, and despite the fact that we uh, differed on it when it came to freeing Herman Brownover and other things, uh, he came to an understanding uh, at least to, to see what, what motivated and, and why we did what we did, um, and you didn't see public condemnations of it. Right, 100%. All right, excellent. I thank you for that. Um, uh, could you explain to those who are not as familiar, and I think really uh, most people living outside of Israel are very unfamiliar uh, with the with the uh, status, the role, the part that Ethiopian jury plays in the state of Israel. Uh, frightening scenes in terms of the protests this week. We, we The episode that uh, sparked the protests, obviously we understand why there would be um, a, some type of strong reaction, but this was uh, a very strong reaction. Could you tell us about this week's episodes in Israel and at the same time give us a little bit of insight in terms of how the Ethiopian Jewish society in Israel incorporates into the into the whole society? Oh, this is a subject for shows, not just a show, but the, the history, of course, is that, that Israel in Operation Solomon, Operation Moses, but uh, along work to rescue the, the Jews, the remnants of the, the Jewish community in uh, Palashmura, as they were called, but that is really an, uh, an alienating term, because uh, it was a derogatory term that they, they were called, um, but they they are but Ethiopian Jews came um, literally from the Middle Ages in most cases into the state of Israel and have made a remarkable adjustment overall. Um, and but it's it's not universal. We see how many of them have emerged now as key officers in the army. How many are. Um, pursuing higher degrees of education and are the are member a member of Knesset, and um, uh, certainly that the story is is a remarkable one, and we all cheered when they 
by the remarkable rescue stories, and anybody who doesn't know should go and read the books about it, about how Israeli planes went to Sudan, how um, actually uh, I negotiated with the president and the vice president at the time. Um, I don't want to go into that now, but we, American Jewry, Israel, all worked together, world jury, with pressure on the Ethiopian government, and then it turned out that there was a 48-hour window during their civil war when we could get people out. And Senator Boschwitz, at my request, went to Ethiopia, negotiated, and literally in days we had the, the movement of, of Jews beginning. And the um, so the story is a really incredible one in and of itself. Of course, you know, there, there is a lot of frustration in the community because they, they still, many of them still live in, in the, on the edge of society and poverty. And the frustrations that were visible, clearly visible this week on the television reports, newspaper reports, uh, uh, I think, A, that's not an appropriate response. And the family of the victim, a young man was shot by police, and that triggered this uh, explosion. But obviously, it was there's a lot of pent-up feeling. And I think that there were a lot of outsiders who came in and uh, exploited the situation and exacerbated it. The family appealed for for an end to the demonstrations, and they said that they want to finish the shiva, and after the shiva they'll think about what would be an appropriate action. But at least they're trying to, you know, to cool off this immediate response, which saw yesterday, I think, 100 people, more than 100 people arrested, and more than 100 policemen have been hurt in one way or another over the week of demonstrations. Uh, that's not an acceptable uh, fact in the um, so the tensions have increased uh, and played out in isolated areas, but nonetheless, I think it's captured the, the headlines and the sustained um, and intense nature of these demonstrations. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they hope will bring more attention to the needs of the Ethiopian Jewish community. Um, the government of Israel did provide them with uh, assistance and stuff when they came, but I think it, it needs a sustained effort. Um, so you, as you know, one of the few people I think in the diaspora who uh, understands what's happening there in terms of the relationship with the community and Israeli society, were you surprised by this? I mean, this was a pretty strong reaction. Did it, it, it are conditions so bad and are things so difficult for the community that you, that, that you are not shocked by how strong this reaction was? I am shocked by the intensity of the reaction. And again, I think we have to know, as we've seen here and elsewhere, and if you looked at some of the faces of those involved in the riots, they were not. They were people who came from outside who said that they were coming to support the, the Ethiopians and their demands. But I don't know the degree to which they, this is politically motivated or um, exploitative of the situation, a real situation, and hopefully it will get real attention. And the prime minister has spoken about it. Um, but they, it needs an allocation of resources. Um, but we, we have to really know who and uh, was behind it. Remember, it's a hot summer, it's uh, when which leads people to be out in the streets and more people come. And, but uh, burning cars and you know riding in the way that they did is is never an advisable approach. Yeah, that's for sure. Um... And politically, as you said, they are getting more and more involved to the point uh, that they have members of Knesset. And uh, uh, I, I would assume that uh, you know government officials, because of the actions this week, 
are paying a lot more attention to it. I wonder if it could, because I would assume such a large percentage of their community are now voter eligible at this point, right? It's so many years and decades mm-hmm. later. Uh, I would assume that uh, in some ways this could become an issue on this upcoming election, right? It certainly could. I think it, it and that's why I talked about the exploitation by those uh, who are not necessarily just looking for their own partisan gain, but to uh, go against the prime minister and to to you know engage in this kind of activities to for the for other for purposes other than benefiting the uh, Ethiopian Jews. Uh, but certainly it could become an issue, and it is a voting block. And there are tens and tens of thousands of Ethiopian uh, voters. Could you tell me about Pilgrimage Road in the city of David and what happened on Sunday? If we have a week, I can. <laughs> the Pilgrimage Road, which is something that I saw from in, in every stage from the time of discovery and even before the discovery of the road, but when they found the steps of the Meshiloch, the Shiloh Pool, and my grandchildren actually dug one of the steps uh, with little uh, picks and hammers and stuff to, as they were discovering this incredible place that is so far beyond the simple description of its significance, of the nature of the find the history that went into it, where they found another road that they thought was the road and then discovered this underneath it, that goes under the old city wall. And when you end up, and the first time I did it, I had to crawl through it. Not something, uh, I'm not not good in claustrophobic situations, but I had no choice because they made me do it. And they told me to stick my hand through this dark, uh, rather moist uh, hole that had been dug. And they asked me, what, you know what you're touching? And I said, no. And he said, that's the bottom of the hotel. Mm -hmm. And you go all the way through and what they found there including the places where the Romans broke through uh, from the road to the drainage ditch underneath where thousands of Jews had hit, were, were hidden, perhaps 2,000 or more, and the Romans went in and killed them. They were perhaps the last remnant of the Jews after the destruction of the temple who survived. The Romans had killed many, some say as much as a million, others say it's less, but a huge number of Jews were killed as the Romans sacked the Jerusalem and destroyed the, the temple. Uh, and the Jews fled, and, some, and they lived in this um, ditch, some say for days, maybe more, uh, and it was they, they would escape through it, uh, through the uh, Shiloh pool. But uh, somebody, um, I, I think that there was a collapse or something where they discovered them, and the Roman soldiers went in, and in fact they found a Roman soldier's sword is still in the scabbard wow. in, in the tunnels. Uh, they found uh, a, a date palm, that um, is is flat on the ground, clearly, and uh, uh, one of the things that had been destroyed. But it was a, a male date palm, which doesn't give uh, fruit because it was meant for for shade for people. And they found so many amazing things, which uh, likes of which equivalents you, you cannot find anywhere. And that this is the road that, two, according to Josephus, 2.7 million Jews walked on on Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot as they were going, as they were Ola Regal, and that the you you walk today the same course and many things they found, you know, coins and other places with burnt uh, ashes still from the Churban bias, from the destruction of the temple in the period and the fire that uh, engulfed the city, and the. Um, 
um, and they have been digging this uh, quietly for an extended period. This is uh, years in, in the making, and their official opening took place, and it's now open to the public. Uh, last week, the um, you know this is this is not doing it justice because there's so much about this little postage stamp area in the city of David. Maybe the original city of uh, of David, as we know, uh, they're still looking to see if the place identified as a potential uh, site of as the potential site of the um, the the, um, the King David's actual house and and uh, residence, um, and it fits all the descriptions. And when you talk about going up to Jerusalem, well, because you go down from the valley all the way up. Um, the hill and the road goes straight up under the wall, and you end up, you know, where the Davidson Center is, and the right in front of the wall, and you see the steps that were once there, the little remnant of Robinson's Arch, right there. So the Jews walked up and then went up the steps into the temple after having purified themselves at the beginning of the journey in the Meshiloh and the Shiloh pool. The whole thing is just amazing, absolutely incredible. And for those who want to deny <laughs> deny history to the Jewish people in that area, uh, this certainly helps the argument, doesn't it? And and the Palestinians have been making a point that this is a fake tunnel, and uh, you know the, the tunnels under in in from Gaza or from Hezbollah that didn't disturb anybody. Now, when uh, you find this and and the the whole story of how a, a, a sewage pipe busting. Uh, and the workers in, in Jerusalem, when, especially in this area, when you do repairs underground, you have to have an archaeologist with you first. That that's how they found this, the long and this, the stairs and everything that that uh, followed since. But to see the Palestinians denying it and saying this is a fake uh, enterprise, uh, uh, again in this continuing attempt to deny the Jewish association, the Jewish presence, and by the way. Christianity's beliefs as well being uh, denied by this. Uh, It's really quite remarkable. Unbelievable. That's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. And that is open to the public. Now people can go and actually tour that area, right? Absolutely, you can go and the whole here, David, the whole city of David excavations. There's so much to see. Allow enough time so you can you can properly um, experience it, and it's something you have to take your kids. There's a 3D movie. There are other things there, um, and uh, learn the real history of how just a couple individuals, one in particular, and and joined by another for all these decades, has devoted their lives to this. And has this, had the support of individuals around the world who who understood the significance of reestablishing in irrefutable ways our ties, our history, which the world tries to deny us. And I know I end up saying this to you every week, but you know, seventy years later, it's just the whole thing is unbelievable. I, I know I say it every week about something, uh, and you should say it every day. It, it is it, all unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. The election, anything new? Is it now definite? The election is on. Will it still be in September and mid-September? Uh, does it look like the parties that are uh, uh, that we've gotten used to over the last couple of months are going to be the ones who are running in September? 
yes to all of the above. Uh, there may be different. There are going to be different faces. You know, Labor just elected um, Amir Peretz, or re-elected, I should say, because he was the head of the party and was a defense minister in a previous government. Um, as the head of the Labor Party, it was a little bit of a surprise. People thought it would be perhaps somebody new after the experience with Avi Gabay. Um, and the uh, right parties are still fighting over the leadership issues. Uh, Likud will obviously remain. Nobody knows what will happen within now that Barack is creating his own party. Uh, right now, it doesn't even show them breaking the threshold of 3.5%. But, you know, many of them can be spoilers. Trying to think what I saw this week that really helped. Oh, I don't know if it. I don't think there's a special thing that helped Netanyahu in the polls. I think there simply was a poll that had him with a with a significant quotation marks around that because we know how close it is in Israel. Significant lead. Did you see that that the latest poll had him up? Yes, but but he's not he's not breaking the 61 votes, right. um, and to have him back exactly where they were, um, with the expenditure of so much money. Um, you know, the election's going to be September 17th. Now the, the Knesset lead, uh, speaker, Yuli Edelstein, tried to f- found some legal loophole, which he thought he would cancel it. The party said no. Blue and white rejected it, and uh, the, the election is going ahead. All right. We have that to look forward to. Uh, also, we sh- <laughs> Just so to speak. Yeah, I guess. Also, we should point out that for the first time ever, uh, the 4th of July celebration in Israel was in Jerusalem. That is true, and a very joyous celebration in uh, in the main convention center, uh, celebrating July Fourth. All right, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when the next president takes office in the U.S. and what they will or will not do regarding Jerusalem, etc. But we have time for that. All right, uh, same one. Well, yeah, but I'm saying even after that, you know, oh. even after a second term. All right. Um, Israel was accused of striking Syria on Sunday. Have they admitted it, and why'd they do it? They did it for the same reasons that uh, they have been doing it on a regular basis. The important thing is that the S-300 system that Russia provided them is not activated. They were using, the Syrians were firing old S-200 rockets, one of which landed in uh, Cyprus. Uh, So (laughs) it tells you some of the precision with which they work. But Israel hit particular locations believed to be associated with um, advanced equipment. Uh, they hit military depots of the IRGC in the Daria area. The people cited the rockets that were seen flying uh, into the area. They, um, there, there were reports that a number of people were killed or injured. Uh, the, you know, obviously they don't confirm the specific details of each um, of each strike, but these were. It looks like uh, four. Uh, strikes. The United States, by the way, hit and uh, also a site uh, nearby. The the people did say that the firing took place from Lebanese airspace, and uh, it's again Israel's red line that they can't allow the you know the IRGC, Iran Revolutionary Guard, or other Iranian front groups. Um, this was a, one of the sites was a research center. Where, um, which I think they've hit before, and another one near homes, because they work not only on uh, the weaponry, but they also work on weapons of mass destruction. You know what's interesting, and uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, um, the, the hesitation that Israel used to have uh, to undertake these type of strikes, 
And on top of that, the hesitation Israel used to have to admit to undertaking these type of strikes. Am I under the wrong impression, or is there a completely different attitude now in Jerusalem toward these things than there used to be? Well, the taboo was broken by the prime minister. Some people accused him of doing it for political reasons, other reasons, but most of all, it's not a secret to, to the Iranians. I mean, they they see the planes. They have a pretty good idea of where they're coming from. They know it's not the Lebanese aircraft that are, are fly, uh, flying these missions or launching the, the rockets. And, you know, the Iranians are committed to supposed to be, uh, I think, 80 kilometers away from the border, and that has not been uh, allowed. And at the same time, the Iranians are now blatantly announcing that they're going past the 300 kilogram of enriched uranium, uh, saying that it's a policy, then they deny it, but then they admit that they are beyond it, and saying that when the Europeans are in compliance, then they will be, not the United States, by the way, and there'll be new sanctions against Zarif, the foreign minister, and others coming this week. Um, and they're, they're um, c- uh, clearly demanding that the Iranians create the INSTEC system, which is up and running, but nobody's using it. Um, and, and Mugherini of uh, the EU you know, said that it's operational. We had our first transaction. The Iranians are saying nobody's transacting anything on it, and because nobody will make the choice of Iran over the United States, or even the EU over the United States, and the sanctions therefore are intimidating European companies from uh, doing business uh, uh, directly with Iran. Iran has become, uh, while we're at it, that's just much more aggressive in both their statements uh, and the challenge to, to the United States. Uh, Russia said that they would sell them the S-400, but they haven't been requested, um, and the talks in Vienna over the JCPOA did not seem to make much uh, much progress. So the Iranians are now putting the screws on the Europeans, blaming them for not coming up with uh, alternatives. And you know they're they're portraying it as evil versus good, a 40-year war between the United States and Iran. Uh, Macron met with the with the Trump over it this, and, and talked about um, the economic sanctions. Um, the United States has been strong on it, even though we didn't bomb, uh, and it doesn't seem that I think many people think it was the right decision to turn the planes back. But the the fact is that the Iranians today mock the Europeans and uh, and challenge them, knowing that the United States is going to be resolute. And the United White House has said they want zero enrichment. The um, um, and, and we see the braggadocia, but not backed up by much fact. Yeah, but 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 the threats the other way are not backed up either. It seems. Meaning. Meaning the U.S. is not you know is not a hard line enough, not strong enough to, uh, or or not you know coming out with statements or policies strong enough to prevent the the further enrichment or the public statements well, about the statements further enrichment. Are there, and we're not going back into JCPOA, and we are imposing more and more. Sanctions. These sanctions are working. This is a, a very sophisticated. Then why approach. do they make public statements admitting to the further enrichment? Pardon me. Then why do they make public statements admitting to further? Because they're enrichment? trying to pressure the Europeans and switch the onus to them, uh, and saying, you know, you're responsible if you don't deliver on what you promised. Meaning, bypass systems of the, you know, they're denied access to SWIFT and the money transfers, et cetera. And if you don't come up, and if you don't offer us the um, 
alternatives, then we ha- we are not the ones violating the JCPOA. You are, and therefore they feel that it's legitimized because the enriched uranium, the IEA, has come out already, International Atomic Energy Agency, and saying that they've exceeded the limit. Now, exceeding the limit doesn't mean that they're making a weapon, although we believe, I believe, I should say, that you know they've never really destroyed the infrastructure and they're moving ahead all the time on elements of the of the nuclear program. So not only does the Iran deal put a country, let's say those in the EU, in a precarious position politically, but it puts them in a in a, in a difficult position financially as well. They have to come that they essentially have to answer Iran when when they complain that they don't have the the business or or the uh or the um uh, you know the, the finances that are necessary for them. Iran's economy is in free fall. The value of the of the currency is about 10% of what it was. Um, the Iranians keep saying they're going to go now the next step, which is enriching beyond the 3.67, allowed not just the quantity but to a higher level to go towards uh, weapons grade. The, many of the Europeans have warned them now and have come out with public statements, uh, very critical. Um, but as you know, that they've uh, coddled them and they refuse to join the United States in pulling out of the JCPOA. I think that you know some of those who argue against the decision right now will see that uh, the Iranians can't be trusted, were never trusted, couldn't, should never have been trusted uh, with this kind of a deal, let alone given all of the resources they were given, and with the reduction in the exemptions, et cetera. There, they. It's estimated they're losing $50 billion a year just from oil exports. What weapons did you say uh, Russia's ready to sell to Iran? Russia said that they would sell them the S-400, which is the anti-aircraft system that Syria has. It's very advanced, and they, uh, but that Iran hadn't requested it. Um, if this is one of the issues with Turkey, which has asked for, which is purchasing the S-400, but also wants to buy the stealth bombers, and we're saying you got to make a choice. It's one or the other. And the U.S. obviously would prefer if Russia did not embark on those sales, right? Absolutely. If that's the case, if, if, if that's the case, destabilizing for threatens. And there are there are Trump Putin meetings, including one within the last couple of weeks. Does this come up? I'm sure it comes up all the time because it came up in the Turkey business where we're we're still in a conflict situation over it. It's a very tense uh, situation. You know, Russia wants to challenge the United States wherever it can, um, and the the um, and this is only one element of it. The S-400 is a very capable system, uh, and it can uh, limit the ability, if in the time of war or conflict, or even in terms of intelligence gathering of aircraft in the region or other systems and and has an early warning because it has a very broad range uh, that it covers so it is a it is a game changer when it is in fact sold they want to sell anything they can because they they make right. money out of it and Russia's economy also needs uh, as real challenges there's no more blatant way to challenge the US than taking a position like that with Iran you know that is true, and and you know, if you people should should read carefully the stories about the new son of Hamas, the second son of Hamas, who has broken with his father, meaning he's this the son uh, of the leader of Hamas, the founder, uh, and like the Green Prince, who has made speeches all over, and now another son has come out, but he is not 
he's saying not under the same conditions, but he is speaking out, and he was involved in Turkey, very involved in Turkey, and, and discusses the transfer of Iranian money via Turkey uh, in, into Gaza. And uh, I think that this could be um, – uh, we will get very interesting um, insight. Unlike his brother, he says he's not – he didn't come out to work with Israel. Um, he left over the corruption. Um, his brother now speaks on campuses and stuff about – and a pro-Israel speaker. The um, uh, But he, he tells about the uh, killing of civilians, et cetera. I think that this will be – very interesting to tell us more about Iran's role. How do they live to tell these stories? You would think they'd be... Uh... Well, he escaped, and, and yeah, they get security, and they're, they're worried about their lives. Understood, but there are international efforts to eliminate people like this. I mean, That's right. But, you know, Zaman Rushdie was targeted right. and had also, right. remember, and right. went into hiding for a short while, but it's now public, and um, I'm sure they all take a lot of precautions. Because uh, they betrayed the, are seen as betraying their father. Any other uh, outcome from the Bahrain conference that we should know about, including those Palestinians who attended, who are, who, who again are now are now being targeted? Right, they, they were released. One was arrested. He was released, but they, he says he fears for his life. I think it's important that Israel's ties with Oman, uh, announced by the head of the Mossad in a speech he gave. Um, uh, is an important uh, step in the fact that, you know, um, Israeli businessmen and others uh, created contacts which are being pursued and, and uh, followed. Uh, the true significance of Bahrain will only be known later, and we'll see whether the political components are going to be um, uh, released, but the $50 billion plan um, which provides many opportunities, not just for the Palestinians, but Egypt, Jordan, et cetera. And the, um, it could certainly change the nature of the uh, lives for many people, uh, the conditions. But the, uh, as, as some of the Arab states said, the Arab leaders, that the Palestinians don't want to give up their misery. They don't want to participate. They don't want to better the lives of the people. Uh, so this delegation of, of Palestinian businessmen who were there, um, we'll see what what kind of public support there is for for what they for their positions and they certainly were courageous in the risk that they took in uh, in going there. Before we wrap up, I've been asked to ask you um, about Jewish involvement in the debate regarding what's happening on the southern border, specifically those who are detained. I mean, you see uh, many members of the Jewish community nationwide getting involved in this discussion. And playing a role, do you have any observation to make about the uh, uh, about how good or bad an idea that might be? Look, it's a sensitive issue in the Jewish community because we we were an immigrant community, um, uh, and it's not nationwide. There are organizations who, uh, who whose agenda this is on. It's not on ours, so I'm really right. not that knowledgeable. We don't deal with domestic issues, but it's uh, it's clearly very sensitive. And um, um, it is right that uh, there were Jews down at the border and Jews were things, but many of them are um, Jews. This organization have a long hostility towards the Trump administration and uh, others that have been just really advocates on these issues for for all of their existence. By the way, there are um, 
and I think that those who are are concerned about the reactions, you know, we just saw this new poll from California, which showed a 21% increase in anti-Semitic incidents. And uh, the New York one that Governor Cuomo mentioned while he was in Israel on a remarkable visit um, that uh, he talked about, by the way, that New York State exports $5 billion to Israel and imports $8 billion in goods, probably the most of any state in the in the union, and um, uh, it is a remarkable statistic, and he had a very successful sh- uh, sh- brief, but he really packed it, uh, visit, including to the uh, city of David and other, uh, and the tunnels and, and other sites, meeting business people uh, to promote ties between New York and, uh, and Israel and economic ties. Um, but the other statistic I wanted to cite was that the study that showed that one-fifth of Americans say that it's legitimate to refuse service to a Jew by a small business based on their religious belief. And I think that that is something, it's up 7% from the last time it was measured in 2014. And that that is a huge increase, even if the number sounds small, but that one in five Americans feel that way and that the um, the latest studies show the overwhelming majority of young people are sensing the increase in anti-Semitism. In Britain, they just finished a study, and it showed that the majority of young people had experienced an anti-Semitic incident. Eighty percent of them did not report it. And I would bet that the number still is true here, that people still do not report it. And the numbers really matter, and getting it on record really matters. And it's it's a laziness or it's a fear. It's, these are not... Uh, legitimate uh, excuses not to at least let the police know, get the record so that the numbers accurately reflect uh, what what is happening um, in in our own country. Uh, it, it's really uh, important. Finally, BB will not address the General Assembly because of the election in Israel. No big deal, right? Well, he hasn't come every year, and it's usually because of uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Uh, this year, it works out better, uh, but um, I will have to wait and see. I don't think that they've made a final decision that he won't uh. come, because the the election will be over uh, by the time he would be scheduled to speak, as I recall. Uh. And um, and they, as the last discussion I had with them, is that there had not been a final decision one way or another of what they uh, of whether he would come. Uh, right now, you know, Israel Katz is the foreign minister. We don't know what will be then. But he also had a visit. He was in the UAE at an international climate conference and met an official, was received by an official there, uh, all of which is evidence of the um, continuing breakdown of uh, of the barriers to relationships. It's not, you know, all warm and fuzzy, but it's certainly uh, far different in the business Israeli businessmen who were at the Bahrain conference reflected that as well. Uh, are we uh, weekly updating next week? I'm yet to share my All right. Show. There you go. So n- next week, please, God. The 19th, we are with NCSY in Israel. So we're going to skip that week and then get back on schedule after that. I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks so much for joining us. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. 
Good morning, Nachum. Good day of Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Korach. Parshas Korach, according to the Chinuch, contains five positive and four negative, four restrictive mitzvos. It's one of those parshios that we have to ask ourselves every year. Why? Why is this included in our Constitution? <clears throat> and I think that the answer is very clear. The Torah is not simply a book of do's and don'ts. The Torah is a book that formulates the character of man. And so, that which we find in the fourth chapter of Pirkei Ovos, Rabbi Eliezer Akapar Omer, Akino Vatava Vakovod, jealousy, lust, and the pursuit of honor, Motsiyanis Adamina Olam, literally can cause a person to lose not only the world to come, but this world. He's not going to enjoy this world. How can I enjoy this world if my neighbor has? a better, more elaborate kitchen, and he drives a better car, and, and, and I'm not satisfied with what I have. So because I'm not satisfied with what I have, I want more, and I'm never going to be satisfied with what I have. And that's what the Torah is teaching us, how significant is the characteristic of jealousy and this our rabbis tell us is what caused Korah a brilliant man a wealthy man who had basically everything going for him he was among the nos eoron he was literally among those who helped carry the holy ark and our rabbis tell us that this distinction was one that the ark really carried the people. So with all this, why does he rebel against Moshe? So Rashi tells us because Moshe was his first cousin and there were four brothers. There was Amram, Moshe, and Aaron's father. He was the oldest. <coughs> Yitzhar, who was the second oldest, he's the father of Korah. Hebron is the third brother, and Uziel is the fourth. Says Korah, Moshe, the son of Amram, the oldest son, he became the Melech. His son Aaron became the Kohen Gadol. The next position which opened up which was the Nasius, the leadership over the family of Kahasim, the 7,000 plus Levim. So who would that be? It should come to me, argued Korach. And instead, <coughs> he was angry at Moshe, who gave it to a younger cousin, the cousin of the son of 
Uziel, Elitzafon ben Uziel. Now, he wasn't aware that Moshe did this al pi Hashem, because God had told him to so do, thinking that Moshe did it on his own, and he was passed over, he rebels against Moshe. Now think about it. What could he offer the people in the desert? Could he offer them a Dunkin' Donuts? Could he offer them Carvel? Chol of Yisrael? Carvel? What could he offer them? And the answer is, in an environment of spirituality, all he could offer them was more spirituality. And so, when the originally the firstborn of every family were to have representation serving in the Mishkan, in the sanctuary. When, however, the firstborn participated <coughs> in the sin of the golden calf, it was taken away from the firstborn and given to the Levim. Korach said, I'll give it back to you. And so he attracts, the Torah tells us in verse 2, 250 men, and the Torah tells us, tell me about these 250. The C.A. or Ada, leaders of the congregation, Kari'e Mo'ed Anshayshem, leaders of, they were summoned for meeting, Mo'ed and Anshayshem, men of renown. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Kuf Yud, tells us that these 250 men knew how to be Ma'aber Shonim, Velikvoa Chadashim. They were experts in astronomy and they knew which year should be considered a leap year, when should Rosh Chodesh be, and we're going to see in a moment how and why. The Torah informs us of this knowledge, not just saying they were good people or special people, but we're going to see a very fascinating insight of the Be'er Yosef, Rav Yosef Salant, into these qualifications. Now, the <coughs> Rashi in Pasuk Gimel tells us that Korah comes and he says, Rav Lochem, Moshe, you've taken too much for yourself. You've taken too much honor, prestige for yourself. Why? All the entire nation, We all heard from God the Ten Commandments. And why do you lord yourself over the congregation? And what does Rashi say? If you are the king and you took kingship for yourself, you should not have taken the position of high priest for your brother. Why? Not just you and your brother heard the commandments. 
shamu. So why should it go to you? It should have been open to others. Now this is a very challenging concept. How in the world could Korah come and and challenge the authenticity of Aaron when the Torah tells us specifically in chapter 9 of Vayikra in Parshas Shmini that for seven days of Miluim, Moshe by himself erected, took down the Mishkan and God Shechina did not rest in it. And the people were concerned. And they said to Moshe, all the work that we put and effort that we put in, that God's presence should reside in us, was for naught. Okay? How do we know that he has forgiven us? So, Moshe says to the Jewish people, this is it. These are the offerings that have to be brought and God's presence will come down, says Moshe, Rashi says, in Parshas Shmini, Aaron Ochi, Kedai, Vachoshev Mimeni, my brother Aaron is worthy and even more significant than I am. Sha'al Yodo, through Korbanosav, Vavodoso, through his officiating over the Korbanos, and his servants, Tishre, Shechina, Bochem. Literally, God is going to cause his presence to reside in the midst of the Jewish people. So the question is, how could Korach challenge Moshe for appointing his brother, Aaron? The (coughs) Be'er Yosef has a very sharp answer. He says, why does the Torah go out of its way to tell us Kriye Moed, that they are the 250 men worthy of being in the Sanhedrin, and 250 men who knew astronomy, who knew when to make it a leap year, and when to call it Rosh Chodesh? He points you to the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, Chof Hei Amar Aleph, 25a, where the Torah tells us that these are Moadei Hashem, these are the holidays, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkos, etc. These are the holidays, Asher Tikru'u Osam, that you shall proclaim them. Now the word Osam is written Choser, Aleph, Tof, Mem, which can be read as well, Atem. And the Gemara says towards the bottom of 25a in Rosh Hashanah, what does it mean, Osam? Atem afilu shogigin. Even if you by mistake declare the wrong day as Rosh Chodesh, 15 days later is going to be Pesach. What you've done is binding. Afilu mezidin. Even if you intentionally made a mistake, forgive me, not made a mistake, intentionally ruled incorrectly, your ruling is binding and stands. And atem afilu mutin. Even if it was proven later on that the witnesses that came and testified were false witnesses, it stands. So whatever the Sanhedrin proclaims is valid. Says Korach, Moshe, which had a status of Sanhedrin, Moshe 
on his own delegated Aaron as the high priest. And just as when it comes to Rosh Chodesh, that which the Sanhedrin does is binding, here too, that which Moshe did, Hashem agreed with, and it became binding because Moshe did it on his own. Had Moshe chosen somebody else, that somebody else would have been recognized by Hashem. That was Korach's claim against Moshe, as explained by the Be'er Yosef. And what's Moshe's answer? Moshe's answer is in Pasuk 5, Boker, in the morning, V'yodah Hashem es asher lo, Hashem is going to choose who is really his representative, who's the one that God has chosen and selected. What does it mean, Boker? What is it like a doctor who used to say, take two aspirins and call me in the morning? What's going on here? So once again, the Ber Yosef says beautifully, in quoting the Medrash, that Gevulos Cholak HaKadosh Baruch Hashem set boundaries into this world. Boker, says Moshe, the morning, the morning follows night, and just as there is nighttime and then daytime, and you cannot confuse or change the two, as it says, Vayavdeel Hashem, Hashem Himself divided, between the light and the darkness, so too does it say in Divrei Hayomim 1, chapter 23, Hashem separated Aaron literally to sanctify him, Kodesh Kadoshim, holy, and for the future generations. The idea very powerfully is as follows, that just as built into nature is the idea of God putting boundaries in nature, which these boundaries are immutable, day is day and night is night, and as much as man could try to tamper. He cannot affect neither nor. They are what they are, and they follow one another. So, too, has God placed into nature that Aaron is going to be the Kohen, and this is going to be for all times in perpetuity. So, what emerges from this parsha is the selection of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of Aaron HaKohen, that God's Word is binding. And until this very day, we have the family of Kohanim, and as we had in Parshas Emor, the specific laws that a Kohen is not to marry a divorcee, that a Kohen is not to marry a convert, that a Kohen is not to defile himself by going to a cemetery, except for his immediate seven relatives. These laws of Kuhuna are that which emerges from the tragic story of Korach teaching us till this very day of God's selection and God's word of Vayibodeil
Aaron was chosen to be his servants forever and please God as they officiated in the past so too speedily in our day will they officiate at the third base Hamikdash Shabbat Shalom to all
JM in the AM. Pretty amazing, huh? Yankee Lemmer, of course. Friday morning broadcast, JM in the AM on this era of Shabbos. Parshas Korach with candle lighting at 810. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And, of course, that's candle lighting for the, excuse me, for the New York area. Mazal Tov to Ahuva and Shuli Wolman. And the entire extended Wolman, Sperber, and Wurzberger families. Wedding was amazing last night. Dina and Yassi. And we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the A. Excuse me, in the AM. It was certainly quite a celebration, to say the least. More coming up Friday, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM. Yeah. 
Thank you. 
השבת בו יקלה. שלום עליכם, מלאכי השרת, Yoel Sharabi with Shalom Aleichem. Erev Shabbos Parsha's Korach outside of Israel, where the uh, Parsha is a different Parsha. Getting set for Shabbos in New York, candlelighting 810. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are so you can get things underway at the proper time. It's Journeys. Time to say good Shabbos here at JM in the AM. Spend the day 
My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week. A great Friday here at JMNAM, and I thank all of you for tuning in. Don't forget, amazing programming all through the weekend, including right now, Table for Two with Naomi Nachman and the Encore of the Arab Shabbos Show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Harry Rothenberg's video blog coming up at 1 p.m. Erev Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem all through the day until candlelighting time. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami. And then, of course, Matis on Sunday morning with JM Sunday. JM Sunday starts at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. at live. And uh, Monday morning, we're back right here with JM and the AM. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Until Monday, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.